thanks to our sponsor, ShareGate. Microsoft Teams can be a great tool for your organization. That is, before your users make your environment messier than eating a hard shell taco. And that's where ShareCake comes in. Their user-friendly tools automate the tedious daily tasks involved in migrating, managing, and securing Microsoft Teams so that you can maintain a safe and productive environment without locking it down. Head over to ShareGate.com for your free 30-day trial and transform the way that you manage your Microsoft Teams. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 438, where today, CJ and I are going to catch up on a little bit of news from AWS, from Microsoft Azure, and Microsoft 365 developer updates, recorded live December the 9th, 2021. This episode is brought to you by Raygun. Are you under increasing pressure to ship code faster than ever before? Then it's time to work smarter with Raygun's modern approach to error and performance monitoring. Raygun gives you instant visibility into the health of your software. And what makes it so unique is that not only it tells you when something's gone wrong, it shows you exactly where it's gone wrong and how to fix it right down to the line of code. Made by developers for developers, Raygun has built a suite of monitoring tools that are used and loved by thousands of software teams every day. Monitor every corner of your tech stack with widespread language support and native integrations with GitHub, Jira, Slack, Bitbucket, Octopus Deploy, and more for even greater visibility. Visit raygun.com to resolve issues faster and to deliver flawless digital experiences to your users. That's raygun.com to get started on your 14-day free trial with plans starting from as little as $4 per month. Back to the show. All right, CJ, we got a few more episodes that we can keep saying 2021. I wonder how many times we're going to screw up at the beginning of next year when we start recording and do and keep <laughs> saying 2021 when it's really 2022. Fairly regularly, I imagine, at least for a first couple of months. Gosh, you know, 2022 is just around the corner. Mm. The mind boggles. It only felt like yesterday that I was celebrating the turn of the millennium. Mm. And uh, here we are 22 years later. That's crazy. Yeah, it is. It's time goes by. But we still have a few more weeks. We don't have to sit there and wrap up 2021 just yet. I've got a lot of work no. to do before the year's over. So uh, we definitely don't need to go too quick through it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And we need to think about our... We can't officially enter 2022 without having a think about our predictions for 2022. Our wishes, our wishes and predictions. Yeah. And looking so, back at what we did in 2021 as well. So this will be... Yeah, we got we got some work to do over the next couple of episodes. Exactly. <laughs> we'll get there. But before we do that, I think that you know this we'll focus on a little bit of news this time. But I guess before we start, what's new in your world? What you've been up to the last I don't know. I guess the last six days since I last spoke to you. I went to Texas, strangely enough. Yep, and it wasn't that strange, but it was actually strange when I was there. So I arrived and it was almost freezing. I was in Dallas. It was 35 degrees Fahrenheit, which for those of you in Celsius is two or three degrees, something like that. It's pretty cold. And then two days later, it was 80. (laughs) Do you guys get that where you live? Is it like that where you have those wild swings? Not like that. Yeah. So we get that in Florida as well, where it'll be like one day it'll be 80 and the next day it can be like 40 degrees lower or like you switch off. Now it's not terribly common, but it does happen. Yeah. So it went, yeah, it was such a massive swing. It was quite interesting. I was watching the news and they said, oh yeah, tomorrow's going to be 80. And I'm like, hold on a second. What? (laughs) (laughs) And it screws you up too, because you like you, especially when you're traveling, that's a royal pain to have to dress, bring clothes are so different. But it also is from, it always messes me up, like working from home when I don't leave the house or I don't have to go outside. I wake up in the morning and it's 
cold, but by the end of the day, it's or by the middle of the day, it's 70 or 80 degrees outside, but I'm still sitting there in like socks and long pants and long sleeve in a sweatshirt or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the house still feels cold. My core is still cold, but I walk outside, just go check the mail. And it's like, whoa, who turned on the oven? <laughs> yeah. We had a, I think it was last year, we had 116 degrees was the high in Seattle and everybody, there were people that were dying. It was crazy, but it wasn't the swing. Like it was, it was a progressive build up to that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, how about you? How's, how, how's your last week been? Actually, it's been pretty good. But we had last week, I think when we recorded this, we never took the time. I never took time to mention it to you. But like after 76 days, I finally got my car back after like an epic, an epic fix. So with a new battery. Those, yeah, exactly. Yeah, a big ass battery too. For those who don't know, it's I we mentioned on the uh, on the show that I've got a, I have a Tesla and we were on a road trip back in September and we had a catastrophic battery failure, which is not a common thing. It's a fairly rare thing. And thanks to supply chain issues and all that crap that's going on around the world, it took them a long time to get a battery sourced and made and brought in. Tesla makes all their own battery or Tesla makes their batteries in the US. So it was, they were in control of it. But there were still like some components and stuff and just took time. And then hitting it Thanksgiving took them time to find it a way to get it to us because it was, it broke down about 900 miles away from us. And so the nice thing yeah. is, I'll tell you, is that the customer service was fantastic. They gave me a rental car the entire time. I never paid a dime for it. I did have to pay for gas, but I couldn't be happier with it. I'm glad that's behind us and that's done. Just a bit of a, just a bit of a pain. So other than that, yeah. man, just. Staying busy and getting ready for another half marathon coming up in about three or four days for me. So I'm, I'm hoping Joy gets cold again. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Keep you cool. Nice. I'm glad to hear okay. you got your car back. That's great. Yeah. So today, last week, we t- actually, let's look back for a second. So last week, we talked about, we really focused on all of the AWS announcements from their conference, reInvent. But today we're going to dive into the news and it doesn't start out so rosy for AWS this week as it did with all the cool feature releases last week. So why don't we go ahead and kick off with the news and cover the bad stuff. Let's do it. This episode is sponsored by Geomont. Have you thought about adding contact center capabilities into your existing Microsoft Teams user base? If so, take advantage of our promo to add BuzzEasy Contact Center for Teams from Geomont and get your first month subscription for free. It's a complete omni-channel experience that works seamlessly with Teams Voice. BuzzEasy was developed with best practices in Azure and offers a rich, easy-to-use experience. Geomont is a Microsoft Gold partner and part of the technology adoption program, and their BuzzEasy chatbot solution for Microsoft Teams has been chosen as a preferred solution on the Microsoft App Store. See the show notes for details around our special offer. This podcast is brought to you by Orchestry. Don't be fooled. Microsoft Teams and SharePoint are difficult. Microsoft Teams, when simply turned on, can be unruly and yield endless sprawl. SharePoint causes constant frustration with user interface and permissioning challenges. End the chaos and harness the full power of Microsoft Teams, SharePoint Online, and Microsoft 365 with Orchestry. Orchestry is the work-made simple platform that empowers end users through controlled self-service provisioning while delivering the actionable insights and lifecycle management your IT administrators need to enable remote and hybrid work productivity without locking down the powerful capabilities of Microsoft Teams and SharePoint Online. 
See why so many are claiming Orchestry to be the must-have Microsoft Teams management tool of 2021. Get your free access to Orchestry with full featured trial at orchestry.com and tell them the Microsoft Cloud Show sent you to get the all the friends of the show perks. And we're back. All right, CJ, one of the, we got these big public clouds. You've got Google Cloud Platform, you've got Azure, and you've got AWS. And one of the nice things about these guys is that it's a lot of stuff for people like me. We don't have to worry so much about the watering of the maintaining our own infrastructure and stuff. So many businesses have flocked to these different clouds. Amazon is still seen as being like the biggest cloud out of all of them by a long shot. And so... When someone trips over a network cable in the <laughs> biggest data center in for AWS, as what apparently happened on Monday or Tuesday, Monday, it was just, and I think it was Monday. I just forgot that. There was an epic outage that totally blew apart a good swath of the internet. So AWS had a massive outage. It ended up being a networking, multiple networking components failed and it knocked out US East One, which is the primary data center, which had trickle effects all across the internet. Netflix was down, Disney Plus was down, tons of games were down. Yeah. Me personally, what really sucked for me personally, it was really frustrating because actually it exposed a nice little flaw in my in my infrastructure because with my business, it's run by five different SaaS providers. All of them are on AWS and apparently all of them are also hosted in US East 1. So oh dear. not only did my, you know, the only part that is not hosted there is my website, but I couldn't, I do online videos, on-demand videos. My video provider was on AWS. My membership provider was on AWS where all the code downloads are stored in AWS. My email provider is on AWS, which meant that I knew something was going on and I was getting, oh, my ticket management system. So when someone emails us about an issue, the email comes in, it gets forwarded over to, uh, it comes into an Office 365 email, but it gets forwarded to this a different email address that is used by the ticket management system to create a customer ticket and all that kind of routing and stuff. But the ticket management stuff was on AWS as well. I could get input coming in from my customers and see that there were issues, but I couldn't respond to anybody. Oh, no. I couldn't even <laughs> proactively send an email to people and I couldn't even put a message up on the, the membership part of the website and let them know that something was going on because I couldn't get access to the site. Yeah, yeah. It was like, I finally was like, all right, let's put something on Twitter and I'll put something on Facebook and hope they see it and just know that I'm Give sorry. Give me a break. <laughs> AWS is down. I saw a fantastic, I think it was a tweet yesterday that said, it was two lines. The first line was 1970. The internet is going to be great. It's going to give us access to all this amazing information. Everybody's going to have access. 2021, AWS is down and my toaster doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great one. I saw that. <laughs> ah, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, and it is really it, it does really still go to show, though, that the cloud's not a silver bullet for reliability mm. uh, and availability. And even these big services don't build in such a way that they can lose a data center and still stay up. That's harder than it sounds and very costly still, right? It's not to create a website in Azure and it magically will be available 24-7 with five nines. It's still more complicated than that. And, and the cloud is no sort of, yeah, magic bullet to solve all of those things. You know, this has happened periodically over the years. We've lost an AWS data center before due to, I think, a lightning strike. Was it something like that on the East Coast? Yep, that was US One of the East well. Coast, was it? Okay, it was a lightning strike and that took down AWS. Everyone was like, ah, oh, my Netflix, I can't watch movies. And then it was closely followed by 
oh, but you should be building redundancy in your application to be able to load balance that to other data centers. And then there was a bunch of people that chimed in saying, you know, that's actually quite a hard problem to solve still and not quite as simple as it sounds. But we're becoming more and more reliant on this stuff. And like I said, if my toast isn't the perfect shade of done, I'm going to write Jeff Bezos a sternly worded letter about it. <laughs> I saw in the the email provider that I use or the email service provider that I use, I saw somebody on Facebook complaining, going, vendor or businesses are losing hundreds of dollars not being able to send out their marketing emails. Somebody must come to account for this. Somebody must be fixing this. And someone chimed in, not from the vendor, but from one of the other customers, like a peer of them, was like going, I'm pretty sure that AWS is going to be issuing tens of thousands, if not millions of dollars in credits to lots of companies because of what this has caused in business out, business issues. This nailed one of the biggest apps that was actually affected by this was Amazon. They're, the apps right. they use for all of their deliveries, for their outsourced vendors that handle deliveries and time tracking of their deliveries and where stuff goes, they were all just sitting around just like, we can't deliver anything because we don't know where anything goes and we can't load it into any of the trucks. So like, yeah, they were affected as well. So it was, uh, there was, I've got a, an article that I'm going to put in the uh, show notes that talks about how people that have that little quip of you should build like redundant clouds, or you should have, have some of your stuff over in Azure if you're in AWS and, or vice versa, so that stuff can still work. But it goes to explain like, that ain't as easy as it sounds. And yeah. it's also a lot more costly because it's not hard. It's not as expensive to get your stuff into the cloud, but getting data out of the cloud, the egress cost is where they really start to charge you. And so that's not as that's not yeah. as cut and dry as you think it is. Yeah. Wasn't it was it AWS or was it Google that had the outage and they when they could update their status page, but all the icons were in their storage system and they couldn't change the icons that from was, green so to that, red. Yeah, that so that was AWS, and that was supposedly fixed in the last one, but it didn't get fit. It was supposedly fixed in, during the last big outage, yeah. but this outage went on for over an hour before the status page started to show yeah. updates on it. So I saw tweets know. of East Coast is down, but don't worry, the status page is all green. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's funny to me because like when you see outages from the Google Cloud platform, they're mostly around networking issues. When you see outages from AWS, I'm going to put even money on it. It usually comes back to S3. Their storage hmm. system. When Azure. It's, when it's Azure, it's either DNS or Azure AD. And so it's <laughs> weird that, and I'm I'm not saying I you know, we got a good friend of ours that keeps he's every time that we go to highlight an outage, he's like, why don't you sit there and pick on AWS or pick on GCP as much as you pick on Azure? I'm, like, I'm pretty sure we do. Yeah. But he always responds with go figure. Public clouds are hard. Yeah. I get that. But yeah. Doesn't it just seem interesting that each one of the clouds, like they, where their failures are, they seem to be rooted in this in one category, or they're weighted yeah. more in that one. I don't think it's weird. It makes sense that each different vendor has their weak spots. That Microsoft's is Azure AD, and seems like Google's is their networking stuff, and AWS. I guess just S three is such an important piece of that puzzle that if it has a problem, it causes all these big downstream problems. So I guess yeah, each of them have their weak spots. I'm glad they're different. <laughs> you can pick yeah. and choose. Do you want do you want your availability to be based on blobs, networking, or identity? <laughs> <laughs> we can solve all of your problems. There you go. Yeah. So there you go. So back up your identity over to AWS, back up your storage blobs over to Azure. And if you've got networking issues, 
everybody has issues with that. So yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't get there. You, if you can't you need, hit the network. Yep, you're in trouble. You need Jim in a in a minivan with a crap ton of Cat Five cables. That's right. I told my son about the whole hard drive. Uh, sorry, van full of hard drives down the freeway the other day. Mm. That whole analogy of what has more bandwidth. And we worked out the calculations. I, I basically said to him, you know, if you had to drive from Portland to Seattle, I think I had said you had one petabyte of data. I was trying to have him understand exactly how big mm-hmm. a petabyte of data was and put it into context. And we did the math on downloading it over our one gig connection at home versus driving from Portland to Seattle and what would be faster. And I had him pencil it out on a piece of paper and things like that. And then we talk through your gigabit connection is not really a gigabit connection. And yeah, well, you don't really get that much out of it and all of that. And so we calculated it out and it was faster to drive in the end. But it, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to reiterate to him that sometimes the slowest looking way is the fastest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It'd be surprising. Yeah. Yeah. AWS outage. Not good. Go. Uh, uh, we, what you got for us? We do have some more AWS news. They are launching a new, not so secret, top secret. Western region for the US government for US government customers. They had an East region top secret region, right? It's not top secret in that it doesn't exist, but it's for storing and handling and processing of top secret classified data. So it's not super secret in the fact that it does, you can't know that it even exists. It's just correct. It's publicly known that they have top secret data. <laughs> it's not top secret that it exists but it's top secret of what's in it. There we go. No. Yeah. Mm. No. AWS. Facebook. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, they're launching a new West region, brings it to two. This is just another sort of notch in their belt around preparing for more government business and cozying up to uh, US government to get more of their business over time. Uh, there's lots of acronyms that I don't understand that are associated with this. Uh, we'll link to it in the show notes and you can go read about it into this sort of stuff. Very cool. I do have another bit of AWS news from the reInvent conference uh, the other week that I thought that, or last week that I, I did want to highlight. I think this is really cool. And it's usually something you from a third party vendor and not from a cloud provider. So I found it to be interesting that they were doing this. AWS has launched something called AWS Amplify Studio. The idea with this thing is that it's a visual development environment for creating full stack apps with minimal coding. And essentially what you do is think like Figma for designing your app. So you have a visual backend builder of I need storage, I need compute, I need Lambda, I need which is like Azure Functions, I need the uh, the service bus kind of a thing, and then what do I want to build from it? I want to build a front end to it. Okay, well that's going to be maybe iOS, or it's going to be Android, or it's going to be React or Web, whatever it is, with a bunch of pre built component libraries. What is neat about this though is that it allows you to then export the app that you create and it gives you the templates for not only creating the infrastructure inside of AWS, but also to deploy everything and give you the templates for your React app or your Vue app or your Next.js web app. Yeah. It includes all the CI and CD stuff. It's got a lot of promise to it. I haven't played. It's got so much promise to it that I'm doubtful that it's as good as, they, as it yeah. is pitched to be. But it's pretty cool that they've done something like this, even if it's a getting started thing. Because the part that I see that's, wait a minute, is that there's a feature called supports multiple environments. Easily test your changes in pre-production environments before pushing to production. That sounds like magic. And I know we're supposed to be able to do that, but 
don't tell me you're building power apps for the cloud and it does everything soup to nuts. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be interesting to watch. I was going to say, so it's like power apps, but you can export to a properly architected, fully featured cloud application. That'd be pretty amazing. Yeah. It's cool. It's cool. But anyway. They're obviously going head to head with power apps on this, I think. Low and no code development to start, but with the backing of AWS to run the thing in production. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. That's AWS. Yeah. What you got for us in the Azure space? I'm going to stick with the theme of data centers for a second. Sweet. And they, at Microsoft, Azure or Azure, are expanding cloud services with two new data centers in Wyoming. So new, I guess that constitutes a new region, right? Because you have mm-hmm. a region has to have, I think, a minimum of two data centers. If, if I've got that correct, got that correctly. So that's pretty nice. So obviously, the sort of the march to more regions and more network capacity and things like that. But what's interesting about this is that they've got a focus on they've got a focus on sustainable design and operations and Microsoft's commitment to being carbon negative. So they're doing a bunch of things with around preserving Cheyenne's water resources that being a top priority and and using air instead of water for when temperatures are below 85 degrees ambient temperature outside, for example. So Hmm. being able to use less water and and have less of an impact on the environment and things like that, Hmm. which is cool. They claim up to 90% less water than other water-based cooling systems, which is pretty Pretty cool. And along with that, they're also saying, this is quite interesting. The cynical, I'll I'll tell you my cynical take on this in a second. But they also say they're investing in the local community as well. So K-12 computer science investments, job creation, obviously, increasing broadband access in the area and various upskilling opportunities. That sounds like they did a really good text to land this data center in that area and and gave Wyoming some some nice uh, concessions as well. Yeah, I suspect so. But hey, so yes, Wyoming, two new data centers. I wonder what the region will be called. What? (laughs) (laughs) I guess Wyoming's got mountains. I shouldn't say that, but it just, every time I think of Wyoming, I think like Wyoming, South Dakota, North Dakota, just huge prairies, like as far as the eyes can see. Oh, it just says, no, sorry, I've missed the piece here. It says that they're expanding the US Central, sorry, West Central US data center region. Okay. So it's, it's not its own standalone thing. It's um, bigger flat. Yep, exactly. <laughs> there you go. I've got a, a bit of an update from the Azure Cost and Management and Billing uh, Group. They've got a no, their November 2021 update came out at the end of November. They probably have the same paragraph at the very beginning of every single one of these posts. Because it always talks about whether you're, quote, whether you're a new student, a thriving startup, or the largest enterprise, you have financial constraints, and you need to know what you're spending, where, how, yada, where, yada, and how yada. to plan for the future. <laughs> no one wants a surprise when it comes to billing. And that's where cost management billing comes in. I feel like that's like the boilerplate for everything. So here's some of the updates they've done. I'm not going to go through all of these, but if you're interested in taking a look at them, we got links in the show notes. Schedule automated emails of your saved cost views, new cost-saving recommendations. So for example, specifically around Azure Data Explorer and Cosmos DB, it'll look at things like make sure that you're correctly sizing your cluster, reducing cache policy for tables that you don't hit very often, optimizing auto-scaling, if the cluster is it capable of scaling or not, deleting empty and unused clusters, stopping unused clusters that have data inside them so you're not spending extra money you don't need to spend money on. Hmm. That's all Data Explorer stuff. 
And then Cosmos DB has got things about, would you benefit more from auto scaling or manual throughput? It's funny. It says this one, it says, quote, this one's pretty exciting to see both sides of the spectrum being accounted for. I'm like, if you're geeky when it comes to the spend, then maybe, I'm not sure it's exciting. I guess saving money is exciting. If you're one that goes crazy on Sunday morning, cutting your coupons out of the newspaper, this may be for you. There you go. There's also a thing. I don't know. Couponing? It is. Apparently it's in the, this might be where people are, this is the new way of doing that though. Might, that might be gone. And this is the new thing that, that our bean counters like to do with your, your cloud spend. There's stuff here about a whole bunch of stuff that they have cost management labs, which is a way for you to get a sneak peek of what's coming a boatload of documentation updates and new ways to save with Azure, like a preview for auto scaling, virtual desktop for preview for virtual desktop and Azure stack. Let's see what else is this. Lots of different things around, oh, general availability for, for around VMs, DV5 and EV5 offer better price performance than DV4 and EV4 series VMs. Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff in here that, that people may be interested in taking a look at. So these guys do a good job in, in keeping everyone updated on the, on the latest stuff that they're doing. Nice. Uh, I'm going to stick on the theme of Microsoft messing with prices. Hmm. And talk about Office 365 for a second, or Microsoft 365, Office 365. They're fiddling with prices for month by, by pay by month customers by increasing prices by 20%. I don't know if this covers all SKUs. I don't have that level of detail. I believe it's only business SKUs. But in 2022, 2022 Microsoft have signaled they're going to be bumping prices up 20%. This has caused a backlash, of course. Customers who pay by the year will not be affected, but those who go month to month will see increases, which, which is a, a little gnarly. I also think it's an average of 20% price increase. Mm. So I don't think from the information I've gleaned here that it's not a straight 20% across the board. It depends on which SKU, like E1 versus E3 versus E5 versus business premium or business basic, there's varying levels of increases. So it's not a straight shot. But I am not surprised by this, I guess. Microsoft has added a ton of value to Office 365 over the years. And it seems to me that it would be pretty reasonable to increase your prices for increased. I remember when we covered this initially and the post from, I think it was Jared Spataro when he was talking about raising prices. And it's the first time they've raised prices. And I, if I recall, it was the first time in over 10 years that they've raised prices on the Microsoft 365 slash Office 365 offering specifically for those kind of SKUs. There's add-on things as well that you that they've added as they've added some more features. But number one, I agree with you. You're the, they keep adding value, so you would think you'd have to keep that you'd have to pay for that value. The thing I don't really get about this article that I feel like it's a little bit of it's a little disingenuous because when it says like customers are complaining about the fact that they're getting that their costs are going to go up and they're being pushed to go into an annual subscription. Have you ever bought anything? That's a cloud subscription. And have you ever seen where you can choose to go annual or monthly and you always get a discount if you go annual? Like every single one, when they quote you the pricing, it always has the toggle for annual or monthly and annual is always automatically selected. If you switch to monthly, you see all the prices go up just yeah. a little bit. It's yeah. like, there's nothing new here. They're just doing the same thing that everybody else does. They're Microsoft just- are pitching this the wrong way around. They should say you get a 20% discount for going annual. It just happens yeah. that we're putting the price up at the same time. Yeah, 
exactly. <laughs> I don't get the complaints about this. Is they're doing the same thing that the rest of the industry does and has been doing. You yeah, know they're what? just a bigger target because they've got yeah. more customers. Like that's they've always been a big target like that. I've never had a reason for why I need to go through and to, and to have my Microsoft 365 subscriptions be not be a monthly cost. Yeah. You want to give me a reason to do it? Game on. I, two of my providers that I use for my business, they have, you get two months free if you pay for it all up front for the year. I switched over both of them earlier this year. I'm like, going, you know what? Cool. Easy. I'm going to no, be on you fair. guys for at least a year. At least I hope I am. So if I go out of business, I can't pay my bills anyway. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, so yeah, 2022 price increases. Still on a teacup, I think, but no surprise from Microsoft. Yep. I've got an update here uh, for developers on the Microsoft 365 side. The SharePoint framework, they have released a preview of the next version. I usually don't highlight these things in the show notes because they don't, honestly, they don't really happen. They don't do releases of the SharePoint framework terribly often. But I wanted to highlight this one because there are some big changes in this one. Specific, and there these aren't like solid. They're not done yet. So if you have input on it, this is a preview release. We probably won't see this. This is no inside information. This is just from experience. I doubt we'll see this go GA until at the earliest, maybe the end of January, early February, because hmm. Microsoft isn't going to release something this time of year because everybody's about to go on vacation if they're not already on vacation. So they're basically just keeping they're basically keeping the lights on through the new year. I can see the preview coming out, letting people play with it. There's two big changes with this one, though. So the two big changes that we're seeing with this is that first, they are changing the default templates when you create a brand new project to where now they have a little more content in them. And the content is primarily there around to support theming. So SharePoint sites have theming. Microsoft Teams has theming as well. And you can add some code to your projects to make sure that your whatever you build is going to respect the theme of the hosting site or the hosting team that your component is being used in. It's extra work to do. It's kind of sometimes it's confusing for a lot of people to know exactly what they're supposed to do. So what they've done here is they've gone ahead and they've added the code for this. They do offer an option for you to have minimal markup in there. That this is the part where I think we're going to see some changes as the preview goes. And like minimal means like you get a div with a simple string in it. Yeah. Um, there's no theming. So there's, they started to do this in the last release, but they got a lot of feedback. I had some criticism of what they were doing. I can see they've made some changes this time around. Still got some feedback I'm going to add, but yeah, it'll be interesting. I'm not a big fan of them putting the... They have a picture, a default picture that they put in the things now. And it basically says, hey, even a fat lumberjack can do SharePoint framework development because that's what the picture of the guy looks like. It's a cartoon that looks like an overweight lumberjack. And so it's... <laughs> okay. New career opportunity. Stop yeah, cutting well, down I mean, trees. I don't know. Yeah. Move to the cloud. Don't bring, right. climb to, don't bring the cloud to you. Like you cut down the tree, get it, bring the cloud down to you. Why don't you just go to the cloud? It's a stretch. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I might've pulled something on that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's it. Any, you got any other news for us today, CJ? Are we getting picky? I think we're done diddly done for. Let's do some picks. ACs Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show. All right, Mr. Johnson, what are you going to pick for us? I came across a very interesting article on Ars Technica that I want to link to. It's called Revisiting SAR Bomber Nuclear mm -hmm. Test. After 60 years, sorry, 60 years after the historic detonation, a historian 
offers a fresh interpretation. So if you don't know, the Soviets detonated Tsar Bomba on 30th of October, 1961. It was the largest detonation of a nuclear weapon ever, I believe. And it was it's just unfathomably large. Like I think the mushroom cloud went up 60 miles up into the atmosphere. The flash lasted for more than a minute from what I read. And this article goes into talking about essentially the arms race that was a lot more prevalent and open about what was happening during this stuff. It also shows a like a five-minute or oh, actually 30-minute declassified Soviet documentary about the test. It's got interesting footage and just amazing, really, just unfathomably large explosion. And it talks about the relative sizes of things and about the project and what led to it and its impact if it was dropped on various cities and sort of the size of these things and and the US's, the US's response to it. And I just thought it was a really interesting insight into just how how horrifically close to complete human annihilation we took ourselves. I guess in one way you could say we're pretty close to it. Tensions are not quite as high as they used to be, of course, but I really just hope, it really just reminded me, I really hope we don't end up back in this sort of nuke race between major superpowers again mm-hmm. and uh, don't inadvertently annihilate ourselves. Now, there's one interesting link in the article that I also want to bring up to a website called Nuke Map. And it's quite interesting because you can go to a website this guy maintains and you can pick a city or pick an area of the map and then pick which bomb you want to let off and click detonate. And it will show you the various rings of destruction to give you a sense of exactly how large one of these things is. Right. And for example, if you know the Seattle area at all, and you let off a uh, SAR bomber over the epicenter or ground zero being the very center of downtown Seattle, then the blast radius, including thermal radiation, like there's various rings, right? There's the radiation radius, the fireball radius, the heavy blast damage with more than 20 PSI of pressure, moderate blast damage, light blast damage, and thermal radiation radius where you get third degree burns, third degree burn radius, which is the furthest ring, would be 60 kilometers out. If it's downtown Seattle, that is north past, it's almost to Arlington, if you know the area, or almost, it goes south past Tacoma, almost to Olympia, which is, um, you know, a really long way to drive. And one bomb could have taken out this entire area. Thermal radiation radius of 60 kilometers, which is which would equate to 11,300 kilometers squared of yeah radius, just mind-boggling size. So the, okay, for those in freedom units, 60 kilometers is 37 miles. That's radius, not diameter. Pretty large. So I'm nuking where I live. Look at the nuke map right now. I've been playing with this and it is, yeah. it's eye-opening when you start with Trinity, which is the first test and then you yeah. do, yeah. Then you start going back to the ones that we first that were the the two the only two that were really used in in war between Little Boy and Fat Man. The United States used them over in in Japan, and then you switch over and you drop Sar Bomba, and it's like I mean, yeah. you can the old ones. Okay, so the old ones were basically destroying downtown Jacksonville. Sar Bomba like reaches for those of you who are in my area, which I think there's like maybe I don't know two other people that listen to the podcast <laughs> that reaches all the way to Stark, all the way to St. Augustine, all the way it takes out, what was that? God, that's probably taking out four 
four military bases between all the way up to Kings Bay right. um, submarine base. Horrifying, oh, wow. huh? The size difference between the first nuclear test and the largest being Sarbomba is just amazing. Like, yeah. unthinkable, really. And they let one of these off. What's fascinating, though, is about the test was that it was a 50 megaton, it was a 50 megaton equivalent blast. Explosive yield was 50 megatons, although the design had a maximum explosive yield of 100 megatons. Yeah, that's the one I just dropped on, on Jacksonville. Although they never let one off with 100 megatons, it was possible, which just blows my mind. That's nuts. But there's um, footage of this thing going off. You should watch the video at some point. It's it's just amazing. And and gosh, like I said earlier, I hope we never get back to this pissing match and detonating nukes. Like, How can that not be bad for the environment? Letting something like that go off yeah. and pumping a bunch of crap into the upper atmosphere, how could that not be good for the world? I think, isn't it that the case that anywhere in the world now, you can essentially carbon date stuff based on radioisotopes and see whether something has been exposed to various different nuclear atmospheric tests. And the in World War II, there were a bunch of ships that were sunk around Indonesia and Papua New Guinea. I forget the uh, exact area, like Java Sea and, and things like that around Indonesia. And people are salvaging those vessels because they've been at the bottom, or not salvaging them, stealing them because the steel is pre-nuclear test steel. So it's been underwater since before nukes were used in the world. And so the steel is far more pure and is used for um, extremely sensitive, making extremely sensitive equipment. And everything is irradiated now because of our use of nukes. And so it's just very low level, of course, but apparently the steel from early World War II sunken ships is quite valuable because it doesn't exhibit the same radioisotope influenced influences man yeah how about you what do you got for us this week this is ironic so i've had a link in my list of picks that i've wanted to use for about a month now i had another one already that i was going to use today but when i saw your link i pulled mine out and i replaced it with one and i haven't read this in about a month but i completely forgot that when you started describing this when i first scanned your article i was like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, and I'm like, this will be funny because I have one that's sim- very similar to this. Apparently, I've been sitting on a similar article that is about the exact same bomb. Is <laughs> you started mentioning it, and you said Sar Bomba, and I'm like, wait a minute, I think that's my link. And sure enough, it is. So I'm not going to go through all the stuff that you just talked about because my article is just a different spin on the same thing. Other pictures, a lot of reference stuff. But here's the thing that I that really puts it in perspective to me. So from the article, the maximum explosive yield was 100 million tons or 100 megatons of TNT. So this one was detonated at 60,000 pounds, which is about half of its you know, full strength. Now, at 50 megatons, it was still 3,300 times as powerful as the bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima and more than 40 times as powerful as the largest nuclear bomb in the current U.S. arsenal. Its single test represented about one-tenth of the total yield of all nuclear weapons ever tested by all nations to date. Crazy, isn't it? Yeah. It said that when the bomb when they when the bomb went off, they kept watching it. They said it looked like the entire earth was just being eaten up. It ultimately climbed to 42 miles. The 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 fireball went 42 miles into the sky and 60 miles a diameter. I say I see 60 miles diameter. Gotcha. Yeah. And just 
How funny is that, that we your pick you had waiting? Okay, yeah, thematic. Let's, let's also go with that. So I guess we're going to learn lots. Now I get to go read the article that you've posted and learn even more. It's a longer article, actually, about it. So it, I'm the, sure there's goodies in there that weren't in the other one. Yeah, this the, the one that I have is a very long one, but it's, uh, it's just... This stuff is nuts. I just finished a really good book by, oh gosh, what's his name? Mike Wallace or Chris Wallace. He's a Fox News reporter. Oh yeah. He's good. I don't want to- He wrote a book, huh? Yeah. He wrote a couple. He's actually, he's, I wouldn't put him as much as your like traditional, like when you think Fox News, a lot of people think they have certain connotations and I don't think I put that in there. He's got, he wrote a book. uh, I should figure out what the name of this is before I start rattling off on it. But it's all about, it's called Countdown 1945. And so he starts- goes back, I think, 120 days and goes right up to when the bomb was dropped, the first bomb was dropped, and then the second bomb and count down five days, count down four days. And he goes through all these different people that were involved in it and a lot of the decisions that happened. It was really good. It was really interesting. That's cool. Interesting. Yeah, so AWS bombed the internet earlier this week, and you and I are (laughs) going to finish it off by just doing the biggest bomb that's out there. That's right. (laughs) Although I think uh, Amazon's uh, AWS's bomb earlier this week might have had the same like breadth of uh, yeah. It certainly affected more people. Yeah. Right on. All right. Thanks for another good week, AC. Catch you next week. Catch you next week. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find out about our show and grow the audience, and we would really appreciate it. If you got a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or an MP3 and provide a link to it so that we can play your question on the show. You can also subscribe to us in Apple Podcasts, in the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up to our mailing list by heading over to our website, microsoftcloudshow.com. You'll get notices of each new episode as well as the show notes sent directly to you each week. We'll be back with another episode next week. Thanks for listening.